Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. So last week, um, we started to look at um, uh, chapter 11. John the Baptist is in prison. Um, He'll soon be beheaded. Um, So he sent some messengers to Jesus uh, to ask if if Jesus truly was the one. Um, And Jesus asked his messengers, what do you see? Go and go and tell what you've seen. Go and tell John what you've seen. Um, and I think John needed some encouragement. He was lonely. He was alone with his thoughts. And he's human, just like us. Um, and this next part may seem unrelated, um, but we're going to look into it and see how it might be related to what we went over last week concerning John the Baptist. And we're going to begin in verse 12. And it says in verse 12, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted to the heavens. No, you will go down to Hades. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he begins this passage um, uh, by saying, Jesus, uh, he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, The kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. And in the New King James Version, which I prefer, it says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And when I read that line, um, it always reminded me of this old Petra song. Um, Does anyone remember Petra? Yeah? Okay. Because back in the day, like, like, Christian music was like scripture, you know, or they'd be like, Sanctified is when you're chasing, you know, they were like teaching you, like, oh, no, I know what sanctification is because of that rock and roll Christian song, you know? And it was always like you're like learning stuff. Nowadays, I think like, you know, Christian music is just like, next to you, I can hear your heartbeat. You whisper you love me in my ear, the kiss of heaven. And you're like, what's happening? Are we talking about God? And they're like, that's the good part. You never know. You never know. Um, but uh, so what does this verse mean? The violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violent and the violent take it by force. 
Um, and maybe if you're reading a different version, it can lead you to believe um, that, that, that there's a different intention to this verse. Um, so we're going to talk about each of those intentions. Um, and one of those is that people would react violently against the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we might be like, I don't know if that's true, but in these days, uh, John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus is crucified. The disciples are killed by crucifixion, right side up and upside down, skinned alive, stoned and beheaded. So I would call those violent reactions to the kingdom of God, right? There were very violent reactions to the kingdom of God. And that is one meaning, which is true. But the word used for to use force and the violent take it by force uh, is a Greek word, biazo, which means to force one's way into a thing, like storming a city. So this is like to take hold of it with all that you are, to take hold of it violently, to rush headlong. The people who followed after Jesus had to take hold of it violently. They, they took hold of it with desperation because, partly because of the violence against it, right? And it's not just because of the violence against it, because they wanted it. They wanted to know Jesus. They wanted God. They wanted to be drawn closer. They wanted to, they wanted to see this Messiah. They wanted to follow him. But also because of this violence against it, you had to take hold of it violently. You had to decide which side you were on because there were two reactions at this time. It was violently opposed and those who wanted it so badly that they would make a great effort like storming a city to take hold of it. There was no middle ground. There was no middle ground. And I think that because, partly because there's been less violent opposition to it, here, we take hold of it less violently, right? Because it's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. We're like, oh, well, you know, whatever. And we don't quite take a hold of Jesus like they did back then. So, I mean, and that's not, that's not true of, of everyone. But I think for the most part, Christians, we can live, we are able to live in a lukewarm place because there's not a lot of violence against it, but there will come a day. Now, it talks about a remnant, and this is what causes a remnant. This is what causes people to leave the faith. And we already kind of see people leaving the faith, not because of physical violence, but just because of maybe some negativity towards it or negative perception. And so imagine what it will be when there is actually violence against the kingdom of God. But we can't wait for that moment. We have to take hold of Jesus desperately, desperately. Jesus continues to talk about acceptance of the truth and refusal of the truth by saying, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. And I, I, I read it a little differently in my Bible, but to, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Or it could say, we mourned for you and you did not lament. And Jesus is saying here, like, whatever was offered, whatever was offered, you were always contrary. You were always contrary. If you're like, let's play a happy song. You were like, no, I don't really feel like being happy today. I don't really want to do that. If we're like, okay, well, we're more mourn with you. No, 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 something else. Something else. That's what Jesus is saying in, in, in this text. He's saying, no matter what is suggested, you don't want to do it. No matter what is suggested, you do not want to do it. You are always critical 
of what is offered, no matter what is suggested, you don't want to do it. No matter what is offered, you will find fault in it. But this was people back then, not us, right? Isn't it, isn't it crazy how when you read the Bible, you're like, that sounds exactly like today. That sounds exactly like today. We're, we, and I think maybe we're a little, a little bit more critical now, especially with social media, right? Like everyone gives their critique of something, right? And I think we've all found that most people are stupid. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, there's just like, and someone gives their opinion, you're like, well, I have to give my opinion now, right? People must know of what I'm going to say is going gonna, is gonna to change people's mind. But they always, they, even then, they always found fault. They always found fault with whatever was being offered, right? We disagree just to disagree. And Jesus continues with this line of thought saying, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors. Here he's saying, okay, John the Baptist lived in the desert alone. He wasn't very social, right? He ate locusts and honey, he lived in the wilderness. He was separated from society, living alone. And people were like, oh, that's kind of crazy. He's kind of crazy to live like that, cutting himself off from, from human pleasures like that. And, and for that reason, I cannot listen to him. But then Jesus came and he did the exact opposite. He was social. He spent time at everyone's houses. He was constantly surrounded by people. And, and he ate at anyone's house who invited him. And people said, that's just a little too social. You know, that's just too much. He, he draws no lines between who who hang out with. And for that reason, I cannot hang out with him. Never argue with a Sicilian when death is on the line. When people do not want to listen to the truth, they'll always, always, always find a reason for inaction. They, you can always find a way to criticize and come up with a perfectly, perfectly reasonable reason not to listen to it. And they don't even care if they're being consistent in their criticisms. And I think we see this a lot today. Um, there's so much standstill when there is an idea to do something for people like in terms of a nonprofit. I remember, and I always use this example, um, but I remember, oh man, you know, and you're like, it was like five years ago, and you remember it was like 15 years ago, and you're like, and then you're like, I'm just like, how old am I? And I'm not even here with you guys. I'm just thinking how old I am. Um, so like a while ago, there was this uh, group called Invisible Children, and they're actually a really small group at first. They were kind of around here, um, and we had done some things with them before. Does anyone remember this? Yeah, I, I feel like you're going to raise your hand every time I say things. Um, we're like, same age group. Um, so, Invisible Children, if you remember. Do you remember how it ended? Okay, it's fun. Um, so, what their deal was, so, and this still happens. So, these, like, warlords in Africa will go, go into towns and steal young boys, okay? And then turn them into soldiers um, and turn them into rough men. They take them, just steal them from their families from young age, and then just turn them into their soldiers and, and go and continue to do the same thing in villages. And so this group, Invisible Children, they wanted to raise awareness because they were like, there's this guy, um, and it might have been in, like, I'm not going to say because I'll be wrong. Um, and there was this guy who was like the, the head warlord. And, they, and this group, Invisible Children, was trying to bring awareness to it to be like, hey, 
let's do something about this, right? And the United States had sent some people in to kind of try to find this guy, but there wasn't a lot of support, so they were going to pull him out. And they were like, let's just try to get them to stay a little longer so we can stop doing this so these children have an opportunity to live lives that they're not going to be, like here, they're not going to be continually kidnapped from their families. And then, and, and people were like, oh, this is awesome. And so people were like, I can get it, I can get behind that. And then, I mean, I'm telling you, every news station you'd see, you know, because it wasn't really a news station, you know, it's just everyone sitting around talking about it. Um, and they're like, well, you know, we don't really know, like, what, I mean, is this really the best thing to do? I mean, and they weren't saying things like this, but it was like, what if the kids like it? You know, we don't know, you know? I mean, and, but there was always, and they were just being critical of, of the whole thing, of like, is this the best way to do it? I mean, maybe there's another way to do it. You know, maybe there's another way where, um, is it really our responsibility? You know, like, and everyone, all anyone was saying was negative things that maybe something else could be done, maybe this wasn't. And like, the guy who started it ends up, um, like out in the street one day naked and kind of gone crazy because of just like, I mean, this like worldwide criticism, right? And um, they interviewed him later and he was like, I just feel like, I just feel like we failed, you know? Our, our whole thing was just to help these kids and like, and we failed at it. And I'm just kind of heartbroken about it. And, and it's not this, this, I feel like any time, you know, someone's like, hey, let's get water to these people. I'm like, well, is that really the best thing? I mean, They've been drinking bad water for so long. If we give them water, it might upset their stomach. I mean, is that really what we want to do? Right? We, we always do that. And we do it. We do it personally, too. When, we, when someone's like, hey, give to this cause or, hey, come help with this. We, we be like, that's exciting. I, that's, I'm involved. I'm going to be in it. And then we go home and we're like, well, you know, uh, and we get a little critical of it. And so, the, and so <laughs> we just stop doing good everywhere. And a lot of times we're like, well, isn't that the government's job? Isn't that the government's job to do that? Isn't that what I pay taxes for? Right? But we're the kingdom of God. We're the kingdom of God. We don't, we don't push off doing good deeds, and we don't push off spreading the gospel and push off helping people to the government. We don't. Because it comes with a lot of rules, and it takes forever. Okay? It, it, it's our job. We need to stop being so critical of everything. We're critical of things within the church. We're crit- critical of things outside the church. We'll, we are critical of every action anyone takes, and so nothing is ever done about anything. I would rather try and fail and have been like, well, that was, a, that was a bad decision than have never done it. Because if you try and fail, then you can say, okay, we failed. Let's try something else, but we're not giving up on this. We're not going to give up on these kids who have no lives and these families whose kids are taken from them and turning their kids into these violent people, right? We have to stop being so critical. And we can see that Jesus dealt with the same thing. And he was, he was frustrated about it. He was like, you guys, you guys, ah." Nothing's ever right. Nothing is ever, and he didn't do like that. I'm sure it was more like serene and peaceful. But it was frustrating. Okay, we always find a reason for inaction. And not just inaction in terms of like doing good or or helping people. We can find reasons to be inactive in the kingdom of God. To not, we can actually talk ourselves into not doing what Jesus told us to do because we found a new way that we think is better or that, that might work in our society a little better than, than actually doing what Jesus said to do. It's actually better that I don't stand out as a Christian because then I can kind of undercover, sneak it in, and no one feels judged, and then I can get people saved that way, Right? I, I, I know he says not to be unequally yoked, but I'm just going to date this person and then get them into heaven. 
right? We, we always have these ideas about what we can do. It's, it's better that I don't talk about Jesus because people will be offended and then I'll lose the opportunity to witness later. So I'm just gonna like kind of befriend them. And then what you notice is you never end up talking about Jesus, right? Or they're like, oh, or you're a Christian? You're like, yeah, but I mean, I, fine. I'm just like you, it's not a big deal. Uh, we don't have to talk about it, right? And there's, there's a saying, and it's a good saying. I know some people are gonna be like, how dare you attack that saying? It's my favorite saying. Um, and it was by Francis of Assisi. I'm not gonna call him Saint Francis of Assisi because that's not a thing unless I'm gonna start referring to you all as like Saint, Saint Caleb, Saint Evan, Saint Nathan, because we're the saints, right? Shots fired. Um, so this guy, Francis of Assisi, and there's actually no evidence that he said this, and I like this saying, okay? And he's a very good, sweet guy, sweet man, love him. But people say, does everyone know what I'm going to say before I say it? Yes, yes. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Might like it. Do we like it? Sounds good, yeah. In theory. In theory. Because every time, almost every time, I've seen this be like, this is, this is how I live my life. More often than not, we use it as a way to rationalize not telling people about Jesus. We use it as an excuse. Well, I don't tell about Jesus because I, I want people to just see it. And I never, ever have to say any. I only use words when necessary. Other than that, I am just holiness everywhere I go. And people just know by my actions, right? And And like... By all means, your actions should align with the word of God. It should speak volumes about what he's done in your life. Should, your actions should set an example for others in everything that you do, but it does not excuse you from the call to tell the world. Does not excuse you from the call to tell the world. Jesus said to tell the world. Just in the last chapter, he said, speak the word of the Lord. Speak the truths that are whispered to you in the dark. Speak, shout out the truths. He doesn't just say, go speak, go whisper. He says, shout out the truths in the daylight that are whispered to you in the dark. So if God tells us to speak and he's whispering things to us and we refuse to speak what he's told us, how much longer is he going to continue to speak? Jesus himself said to tell the world. Every disciple, we don't like read Paul's letters and he's like, I was out doing good all day. No one asked me anything about being a Christian, so I'm moving on, moving on. I just stood in the marketplace. I helped people shop. I paid for some people's groceries and nothing, nothing's really happening. No, he went and he talked. And in a lot of places, you know what he did? He stirred up conflict. It wasn't, any, it wasn't easier then than it is now. It stirred up conflict. It came with the sword. You can't tell the full gospel, you cannot tell the full gospel without speaking, unless you're like an incredible mime. Like I remember, like when you go to foreign countries and like um, missions, you, you do the mime things, but they don't do it anymore. But they'd be like, you know, someone's struggling in sin, and they're like, and the other people be like, you know, and be like, and, um, and then we do them in church here. Do you guys remember that? That was fun. We're never doing those here. All right, but, they, they're, but they're, power, they're powerful in like other countries when you're trying to like break through a, a language barrier. But, um, and if you love those things, praise God, um, do it. Um, but my point is, no one's clever quote holds more weight than the instructions of Jesus. 
No one's clever quote, no matter how saintly they are or were. It does not hold more weight than what Jesus said to do. Now, wisdom is proven right by her deeds. Not wisdom is shared by our deeds. Jesus didn't say wisdom is shared by our deeds. He says wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So we speak it and we live it. We speak it and then we live it. And what we say about Jesus is proven right by who we are. It's proven right by our deeds. Just as what Jesus said was backed up by his deeds. He says, I am the son of God. He went out and said, said who he was. I'm going to take him some time. But his deeds, even before it came out, who he was and revealed who he was, people already kind of, people already thought he was the Messiah because of his deeds. People already thought he was the Messiah because of his deeds. But he continued to teach and to speak and to share knowledge of the scriptures. And that was part of the deeds that backed up what he did was the things that he said, his knowledge of the scriptures. And it works the other way too. We can be proven wrong in the minds of people by the deeds that we do, the deeds that follow. If we say things and then our deeds don't line up with that, it's proven wrong. And that's kind of where we are today as Christians. We have proved in many ways to the world that Jesus is not the son of God and being born again means nothing because we don't change. It is the single cause of atheism in the world today. It's Christians who acknowledge him with their words and deny him by their lifestyle. DC talk. But it's true. It's true. It's no different today. It's no different today than 2,000 years ago. We can convince ourselves uh, to be inactive, and we can actually convince ourselves that inaction is better than any action at all. And Jesus here is saying that's not true. In fact, in the next verse, he begins to denounce entire towns for their inaction, their non-response to what has been given, what they've seen. He says, you, you, town, you've seen miracles and you heard the word and you didn't follow and it'll be worse for you than Sodom. It'll be worse for you than Sodom by hearing and rejecting. And one of the interesting things about this passage, just a little side note, is that he names towns where great miracles have taken place. In this passage, he names towns that there's actually no record in the gospel of these miracles. So Jesus, just so you know, and don't go be, don't start being like, oh, and I'm going to read all these other books that aren't in the Bible. Don't do that. There's a reason they're not in there, okay? It's because they, they, they've proven they were written much later by different people or that there's not enough books of them to prove that it's real. All, everything in the Bible... All the books in the Bible are there for a reason, and everything that's left out is left out for a reason, okay? But John even says in uh, John 21, 24, he says, uh, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So Jesus did these amazing things in these, in these towns, and, he, and then he says, on the day of judgment, things will be better for a sinful city like Sodom, who had not heard the gospel, 
than those in the Jewish towns who had heard and seen and had and decided to not do anything about it. And they had a simple disregard to the, for the gospel. And guys, we have to take this to heart when we're thinking about ourselves and how much we take to heart what Jesus says and if we're doing what Jesus says to do. We have to judge ourselves against this. When you see Jesus, he's not like, he, when he's talking about these things, man, he, he's upset. He's upset. And, and you can see, like, I know we like to picture Jesus as, as, like, all loving, and he loves us. He loves us, and God loves us. But he's serious about this. He's very, very serious about this. And then he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you're pleased to do. The wise and the prudent in this passage are the Jewish leaders who know the law. They know everything, or at least they think they know everything, and they believe, they believe most of the people are too stupid to understand the things that they understand about God. And they were looked down on the common people because they were just too, too simple. They weren't smart enough to understand or know God. And, and this is why they're so simple that Jesus, when he's saying this, he's referring to the common people as children, kind of sarcastically, and calling the religious people wise and prudent, sarcastically. Um, because this is always something that is difficult for the intellectually prideful to understand. And that doesn't mean knowledgeable people or people who are intellectual intellectually prideful. It's difficult for them to understand this thing about God that is one of my favorite things about God. Let's talk about this for a moment. In many religions, there are things you have to do. You have to achieve these things before you can go to their version of heaven. You have to perform tasks to be holy. You have to learn these things, do all these things that are really unattainable. But if there's truly a God who created everyone, and he loves us, wouldn't he make it so simple, so easy to understand that everyone would have the ability to know him? That everyone, not just, not just those who are wise. In some religions, you can just see the handprints of man. Only the best can have it. Only the wise can have it. Only these people can have it. Basically, me, the people who are writing it. We can, you can't. You just see the handprints of man. There's this like hierarchy. We're the best. You can't really have it. And we even saw it in the Catholic church where they didn't want it to come to be spread in different languages. It was just in Latin. So only the priests could know and they would tell the people, right? But God in his wisdom and in his justice makes it so simple that every single person can have access to him. Every single person can go to heaven. Every single person can know him, and it's simple and easy. And if there's a God who made us and loves us all, and he's justice and love, isn't that how he would make it? So every single person can know him? He's good. He's fair. He's just. He made the gospel simple enough for a fisherman to understand, easy for a child to understand, both young and old, educated and uneducated, all can know and understand the gospel because God in his wisdom chose to do it that way because he's fair and just. He is fair and just. The simple man 
in, in the Bible, these children take hold of the truth and the Jewish leaders and their wisdom reject him. And this isn't true of all the common people and all the Jewish leaders. But those who recognize their dependence on God, just as a child recognizes their dependence on their parent, they will discover that he's revealed himself to them. I know people who are not very educated, who know God really, really well just from walking with him. He, he makes himself easy to understand. And the more you know him, the more you understand. But Jesus, he says it himself in this passage, is the only way to the Father. I've made it easy. God has made it easy. It's so easy, but there's only one way. There's only one way. It's so easy, but there's only one way to do it. One that is simple, but is rejected by many. There is only one way to the Father, but through me. And all religions and, and, and most people all acknowledge Jesus because his existence can't be denied. But what they do is take away that one part that he is the one way to heaven, that he is the one way to God. He's a great man, he's a great prophet, but there are many paths to God. They eliminate the one way to God. And doesn't that just seem like the devil, doesn't that reek of the devil? And Jesus being a great prophet isn't even an option. He claimed he was the son of God. He's not the first person to do it, he's not the last person to do it. And what do, what do we, I, I, I worked in psych for many years, I know a lot of people who claim to be God, a lot of people, okay? I actually introduced one, I didn't know this, to a guy who was like saying the end was coming and I introduced him to a guy and that guy thought he was God and they became great butts. And I was like, what have I done? But where was he? He was in a psych ward, right? We would call those people crazy, delusional, grandiose. So Jesus was either crazy, he was a liar, or he's the son of God. It's either, he cannot be, he cannot be a great man and a great prophet and, and a, a great wise man who was also crazy and a liar. In the Bible, I remember talking to a Muslim man once who was telling me that our God and their God is the same. He said, but just not Jesus. And I said, well, in the Bible, it says Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. So that's a big hang-up. In the Quran, and don't go reading it, um, it says at some points that Jesus, at some points it's like, Jesus is a great prophet. And in another passage, it says he's a liar. And then another passage says to kill Christians, um, to cut off their hands, to cut off their heads, right? It's good reading, nighttime reading. Um, but that's in opposition to what my Bible says, right? That's in opposition. The character of the God in the Bible is very different to the God in the Quran. Like if, if, if someone was said, I saw Nathan the other day and he was, he was weightlifting all day at this gym. You'd be like, mm, that probably wasn't my Nathan. That's probably a different Nathan. He's obviously not talking about my Nathan because Nathan wouldn't do that. That's not in his character. And I would say, you're correct. That was not me, right? It's different because who you are describing and who I know are completely different. But God, through Jesus, has made it easy for all to know him if they accept him. See, I mean, he's just laying it down right now. Jesus is just laying it down. God, he's easy to know if you'll just accept him, if you'll just take some action, just decide. And then he ends it. It's like, why accept him? Why? Okay, all right, I want to take an action. Why? Why should I take this action? Why have you made it easy? Why have you called us to you? Why should we chase? Why is God chasing the little man? Why are you coming after me? Jesus says he sees the weights that man has put on their fellow man. 
He sees the demand upon us. He sees the weight, the weight of religion. He sees the continuous failure of men to measure up to the standards that the religious leaders had put on them. And sometimes the standards that we put on ourselves. Or maybe sometimes our family puts on us, our friends. We can't always just put that off on a religious leader. A lot of times we can't even live up to the standards we've placed for ourselves. And it makes us end up feeling like constant failures. Constant failures. And Jesus says, I see that way. I see it. And I came here and I chased you and I made it easy because my heart's desire is for you not to have to live like that. That is not why God made you to live like that. And I've not only come to free from sin, but I've come to free you from these weights that have stolen your life and stolen your joy and that continually steal your peace. That is why. If you'll just choose. If you'll just choose, man. I love Jesus. Even though he's like going off and he's like, you, you haven't chosen anything. He always ends with, I just, want, I just want you to make this decision because it will be good for you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know you think you know the path to happiness and joy and peace. But have you found it? Or you just constantly keep switching paths and adjusting and going back? Because this is it. This is it. And you take upon you a yoke, which is ill-fitting. Ill-fitting. The yoke that Jesus describes fits each one of us well, but... It means entering into submission to. It's easy. If we submit to Jesus, if we put our lives under him, if we allow him to lead us, allow him to love us, and we just seek after him, so easy, just seek after him. His yoke is easy. And the word used means well-fitting. Well-fitting. For each, each person here that's different, my yoke is big and masculine, other people's might be different, but everyone has a, a, a well-fitting yoke. And we constantly take on the yoke of the world or what we want or what, what the world has told us we want. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit and it's heavy. And I know everyone here who's chased after the world and even maybe now has experienced an ill-fitting yoke. And I know if you search your heart, I know that you know inside it has not brought you joy. It has not brought you peace. But Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we know that he's good. In front of his word, we know that he's good. We know that he has everything under control. We know he loves us. We know all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. We know that he has a plan for each one of us. His yoke is well-fitting. His plan for each one of our lives is well-fitting. And his plans are not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. But we have to submit to his authority and take hold of him violently. To take hold of him violently. And I think why this, I mean, it seems like he's gone really far off John the Baptist now. He's talking about John the Baptist, telling people about John the Baptist. And then it seems like he's gone off and like, woe to you, woe to you. Yoke, burden. But then he, he comes back and he talks about his rest. And I think this has come. He's like, 
John the Baptist has, has done what he was supposed to do. He fulfilled his mission and he was faithful. And now he's going through some really tough times and he's questioning. He's questioning. And he just seeks Jesus out and says, I need to know, are you the one? And Jesus says, go tell him what you see so that he can know I am the one. And when we know, and not just know like we say we know, but like when we really, really know who Jesus is, we know the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and we know God is with us, then we should have rest. And he's telling John, you can rest. You can rest knowing that I am who you think I am. I have come. And you can rest knowing that it's all going to be okay, even though it doesn't look like it from where you sit. He says, all, all who come to me, all who come to me will find rest. All will find a peace that passes all understanding. Has everyone experienced that rest that we can have in Jesus? I know a lot of Christians that have not experienced that rest. And I think sometimes it's because we don't really know who he is. We don't really know him. We don't really know his love. He always says, have faith like a child. Have faith like a child. Man, children, and it cha- it's different for, for all of us. Sometimes we, we reach a, a certain age and we start to take on cares of the world. And a lot of times for, um, you know, for me, a, tr- a child of divorced parents that came a little earlier because you, you begin to take on worries of your parents. But there's a time, my kids, you know, yesterday, um, Aurora, she, uh, she touched a mushroom, and, uh, which I didn't know what she had done that at first. And she just starts running at me, screaming, I've been poisoned, I've been poisoned. And she's crying profusely. And as a father, I leaned down and I said, Aurora, I love you. I just wanted you to know that before you die. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I'm not messed up like that. No, I said, I said, I said, Aurora, baby, what's happened? What, what's going on? She's like, I got some mushroom, you know? And honestly, if she was poisoned, there's nothing I can do about it. I don't know anything about that. I'd be like, I'll suck the venom out. She's like, it's not like that. But they come, they come. Kids at a certain age, they come. Parents can solve every single issue. Even if, I mean, how many times as a parent have you ever been like, what do you want me to do about that? Uh, you, what, you want me to build a new road? I don't know what to do. Like, but they trust, they trust you. You will take care of it. You've handled everything before and I know that you will handle it again. And then as we get older, we start to understand that parents can't do that. And I know a lot of kids, especially today, this generation, who step out from under their parents' house and, and they realize they have to do these things themselves. You realize, that's like one of your first realizations you become an adult is when you're sick and you still have to do stuff and no one delivers anything to you on the couch. And you're just like, how do I even get things? I don't know. I need a delivery. I need someone to come over. You know, right? Except husbands, we're like, I have a wife. Does No, no I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying how good my wife is. She's really good. Um, uh, but, and you realize it's all, on, it's all on me. It's all up to me. 
and you feel that kind of like umbrella of protection, if you will, removed. And for some people, and some people handle it very well, but some people feel very vulnerable, very alone. And God says, have faith like a child. Trust me like that. Trust me like that. I am still watching over you. I love you, whether you can understand it or not. I love you more than your parents do. I know you better than your parents do. And I long for your good. My desire is for your good. My desire is to give you hope and a future. And I know you're like questioning, what do you do? What can bring happiness to you? What do you change? But I know, I know you. I know your heart's desires. I know what will make you happy. I know what will bring you joy. I know what will bring you peace. If you will just come to me, I'll give you rest. Just rest. Just rest. Just seek me. I know that it's all okay. I'm watching over you. I'm watching over you. Do we know him like that? Do you feel that? Because we should. Especially when we desperately need it. We should run like, God, 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 I've been poisoned by society. God, I just need you. And he says, this God, the God of the universe, all-powerful, who just a minute ago was like, none of you ever listen. And the next moment was like, come. Just come here. Just come. Just come. Just come. I know maybe you've been, you're, you, you refuse to take action because you've taken action before and it, and it hasn't worked out. But you've taken the wrong actions. You haven't centered me in your life. Let me lead you. Let me lead you. Just follow. I have a yoke for you that's so light and so well-fitting, so well-fitting for you. And my desire, whether you believe it or not, is for you to have joy and peace and hope. We have to trust him like that. And my desire, and I know his desire, is for each one of us to know him like that. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that not, not just this week that we would experience your peace, Lord, but just help Help us to have faith like a child. Lord, don't, don't return us to days when we were children, Lord, but that we could step forward into a new faith where we trust you with everything. With we, we trust you with all things, Lord, that we, that we can know you better, knowing that you're good, knowing that you're faithful, knowing that you're just, knowing that you're wise, and knowing that you love us and your desire for us and your plans for us are good. I just pray that we would come and rest in the shadow of your wing, Lord. I just pray that whatever is going on in our lives that maybe no one else knows about or things we're struggling about, Lord, that we could just come to you and give it to you and just let it go, knowing that you're in control and that you've got it and that you love us and that it'll be okay. I thank you that you love us like that. I thank you that you don't make us do all these works to try to prove ourselves, that you invite us to just come and rest. And I just pray that we would do that, Lord, as your people, that we would come and rest and that we would experience your peace and your joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. 
For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.